It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. The wind of the season. We were gone for a while. Things looked a little shaky, but we're back. It's a uh, drive home edition of the Rico. The Mets pull off, I mean, a stupid victory. The victory we've been waiting for. The win we've been thinking about. Hey, maybe this is the game they come back and win. Maybe this is the game that turns the season around. Now, I don't know if it's going to turn the season around, but at least for this moment, what a hell of a victory over the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I don't have my scorecard in front of me. What did we win this game? Eight to seven? Was that the final score off? Eight to seven was the final, yes. Eight to seven, bitches! And I, and I don't know why. I don't know why. But from the moment that Alvarez hit the three-run home run and pointed, he pimped the crap out of that, which we'll get to. I had this odd confidence in a frozen city field with about a thousand of my drunken friends. I had this weird feeling that we were going to find a way to win this game. Even when Robertson gave up the hit to Harold Ramirez, even when he gave up the hit to Lowe to tack on the second run, I don't know why. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But there was a part of me that said, we are inevitably going to win this freaking game. This, this team had fought too much after looking lifeless for the first six innings, seven innings. I just, I don't know why. I thought that something magical was going to happen. For a second, I thought it was going to be Lindor. I thought he was going to be the guy after, after the McNeil bloop single. But then it had to be Pete because I was already starting to rack my brain throughout this game about how shitty of a season Pete Alonzo has had despite the home runs. Like it started to go through my brain tonight because remember, he set the tone for this game by grounding into that double play in the first inning when the Mets were set up with first and third. So my brain was already in motion thinking about how, well, you know, Pete's at 13 home runs, but it feels like all of them have been meaningless or at least most of them have been meaningless. So I started thinking, Pete, I started thinking to myself, all right, I know what I'm doing when I can't sleep at night. I'm going to go through every goddamn home run Pete hit. I'm going to find out how meaningless they were. And then we're going to destroy him on the next Rico. But you know what Pete said? Pete said, and I'm talking about Alonzo, not Uhoff. Pete said, shut up, redhead. I'm going to hit the biggest freaking home run of the season. And boy, did he ever. Now, a couple of things. There's a lot to get to here. Uh, we'll get to Buck Walter, who completely mismanaged this game midway through. We got to throw some bouquets at Kodai. Kodai Sangle was utterly brilliant in this game. Other than those back-to-back doubles he gave up in the fourth inning, the guy struck out 12 guys. His fork, his ghost fork was nasty. He was popping the fastball at 97, 98. He was brilliant. And as a throwaway line on the air today with Craig, you know, I was kind of bemoaning the starting pitching, how that, along with the offense, obviously, has been their biggest issue. And I said, you know what I want tonight? I want six innings, one run from my guy, Kodai Senga. And he delivered it on the dot. Six innings, one run. He strikes out 12. Yeah, they're losing one nothing, and the offense looks lifeless. But it was one of those rare days where we can't blame the starting pitching. We can't kill the starters because Kodai Senga was the freaking man. But what I didn't realize was that the death that I thought we were going to face was going to come from the bullpen. Because the bullpen was absolutely awful in this game. First, you got Jeff Brigham giving up a run. Then you've got Adam Adovino after Alvarez hits the home run, too. So after Alvarez 
hits, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Alvarez, uh, Mark Vientos. I don't want to jump ahead to myself. When Vientos hits the home run, which was, it was a home run that sort of pissed us all off. Let's be honest. Vientos hits a home run. We're excited. It ties the game up at two. We're feeling good. But isn't there a part of all of us that's cursing out Billy Epler, saying, you dumb son of a bitch, why was this guy not here for a month? I know you were thinking that off. Yeah, that, that, I've been, I was saying that all, dude. And then as we get later in the game, too, I'm just sitting there going, I hate Billy Epler. <laughs> that's that's all I keep on thinking in the back of my head. No, I know. Even, even when Vientos hits the home run, which I thought, I really didn't think was going out off the bat. I thought it was going to be tracked down by uh, by the center fielder, and it just kept drifting and drifting and drifting, and then he made that leap and it went over. But, yeah, like, I'm pumped up the Antos hit the home run because the offense was limp the entire night. But all of us are thinking, Billy, why was this guy not here three weeks ago? But Adam Adovino throws the cold rug on it by giving up the runs in the eighth inning. Buck had nobody warming up in the bullpen, which I would have been wrong about because Adovino, after giving up the two runs, was actually able to get out of it. I thought it was going to look worse than it turned out to be. But the bullpen was just awful. From Brigham to Adovino to, I guess, a degree, David Robertson. This was not, wait, who am I forget? Oh, oh, Steven Nagosik. I can't forget that. Because that was the other thing that ticked me off. You're, yeah, you're down by two runs. I understand. But I think when you need wins and Robertson has not pitched that often recently, even down by two runs, don't you go to David Robertson in the ninth inning? At least that's what I thought. Instead, he goes to Stephen Nagosik, who throws 150 pitches basically in that ninth inning. The Rays tack on another run, which made me think, okay, great, we're going to score two runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, and that insurance run Nagosik gave up is going to be the killer. So the bullpen was the horror show tonight which has really not been the case for the most part this season. The biggest issue pitching-wise has been the starters, but from uh, from Brigham to Adovino to Nagosik, a run, two runs, a run, and then we have Francisco Alvarez. And off the bat, and they got lucky that inning too, because think about it, Daniel Vogelback basically doesn't swing his back great. He draws a walk. Starling Marte, who had no shot in that at-bat against Jason Adams, he, um, I'm sorry, I was about to maneuver off the highway because here we go again. There's freaking traffic on the Whitestone Bridge. And I saw the traffic, so I'm like, okay, let me get on the service road like I did last night. But the guy behind me was not going to let me in, and I did not want to have a drive-home reaction, Rico Bronya accident. Uh, while I'm sure that would get a lot of downloads and it would make people laugh, it would not make me laugh, especially if I ended up dead. Hoff, I, I do give you permission though, to post it anyway. I'll just let you know, like, if I if I died tragically in a car accident while recording the Rico, I do give you permission after you speak to my wife and pay your condolences to post the Rico Bronya. Because I'm sure that would get a lot of downloads and maybe that'd get you a bonus or something like that. But I'm good. No accident. I'm just going to sit in traffic now and deal with this crap. Because, again, like you told me last night when we recorded it, there's traffic on the Whitestone. What the hell am I going to do? Anyhow, uh, we get lucky because... Marte gets hit by a pitch, which, I mean, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sterling Marte. I hope he's okay. That was after Vogelback draws the walk, if memory serves correct. And then eventually we get Francisco Alvarez. And we get Francisco Alvarez. Think about this. We got 
the big guys back to back to back down by three runs in the ninth inning. We got Brett Beatty as a pinch hitter. He strikes out. We get Mark Vientos trying to pull off the magic again. He pops up. And then we get Alvarez. So we have the three guys that we pine for at different times this season coming up as the tying run in the bottom of the ninth inning against Jason Adam. And it was Francisco Alvarez who got run on all night tonight. And it's not all on Alvarez. I want to point that out. All those stolen bases are not on Francisco. Some of it is on the pitching. A little bit's on Francisco. But I think the Rays stole six or seven bases tonight. It was insane. But Alvarez hits the absolute piss out of that ball. And my, I knew it was gone. So I'm not looking at left field. I'm looking at Francisco. So I got a live look at the pimp job that Alvarez put together. I assume SNY showed it 50 times. I have no idea if Keith or Gary or Ron ripped it. Did they rip it? Were they uh, critical of it, or did they just absolutely love it? No, no. It was electrifying, okay. dude. It was like a weight lifted off of everyone's shoulders. No. I, I swear to God. Dude, I, I am not saying it was over the top, even though it was over the top. All I'm saying is I could see how Kevin Cash and Jason Adam and all those uh, Black Magic Tampa Bay Rays may have some kind of issue. Because Alvarez stood there, stood there, stood there, and then pimp slapped that bat into the beautiful Queen's night. And Alvarez acted as if it was a walk-off. It was not. I was, look, he let out the emotion that I have, you have, and everybody listening has. So I don't expect the Blackjack, Black Magic Rays to understand that. I totally get it. Kevin Nash, uh, Kevin Nash, oh my God, I'm in WCW. Kevin Cash is probably confused. Jason Adam, who has two first names, you can't trust him, was probably a little bothered by it. But you're right. Like, it let out the emotion that we all had. And for it to be Francisco Alvarez, of all people, who got run on all night, who's batted, quieted off over the last few days, I thought that was freaking awesome. It was letting out all the emotion of this horrid, hard start. And then, obviously, David Robertson. I I don't want to say David Robertson did a terrible job because you obviously start in this weird spot with a runner on second and nobody out, and then basically there's a runner on third and nobody out because, again, the Rays are running on Alvarez. He got the pop-up on the infield. He gives up the base hit to Ramirez. That probably is not a base hit if the infield isn't drawn in. The problem is Vientos doesn't turn the double play, and then that single tacks on the second run. So it wasn't a wasn't a great performance by David. I would just say he was the less crappiest of all the relievers. If you compare him to Nagosik, to Adovino, and to Jeb Brigham. But it's funny when you put that runner on second base in the bottom of the inning down by two. A two-run deficit doesn't feel as, as brutal because you're doing it with the tying run at the plate. So you're really down by one if you, if you really break it down. Under the old rules where you didn't stick a guy on second. If you give up two runs in the top of the 10th, you're down by one run in the bottom of the inning under the old rules because you got the tying run at the plate, right? Does that make sense what I'm saying, or am I just punch drunk? No, that's exactly right. And and people don't like the new rules because of the, the, the pit. But that's all Gary and Keith were talking about was with the new rules, it's not about the first run in the scores. It's the second run that really makes a bigger difference. It really is because at the end of the day, the Mets had McNeil, who ends up in this game, which made it even stupider that Buck sat him. Because my defense on the air 
for the McNeil decision was, ah, he's giving him a day. These guys play every day. I, I understand it. I didn't, I really didn't like Beatty not playing. That was my bigger issue because why are we sitting him against the lefty? He's shown he can hit lefties. Just DH Vientos don't play Tommy Pham. That'd be my answer. That That's my answer. You want to play Escobar over McNeil, fine. But when you go to McNeil as early as you do, and he ends up getting three plate appearances, it wasn't really an off day. So my reasoning was wrong, which I own. I'll take the L on that. It's It made Buck look stupider. And by the way, I'll get to the big issue I had with Buck later. But in this bottom of the 10th, when you've got McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo, tying run is guaranteed to be at the plate. It just feels less daunting. McNeil gets the bloop single just over the reach of the second baseman low. And that set it up. Lindor had a meek at bat. Okay, fine. Heard some booze. And then our boy Pete Alonzo. Peter Jefferson Michelangelo Alonzo hitting a bomb like the home run he hit against the Cardinals last year. Now, let me rip Buck. All right. Our genius. Our genius Buck show author. What did Sal say? Mary Buckmas? Yeah, he's the Grinch, all right. Here's the problem, Buck. I am not a Mensa. Is that what it's called? I'm not a Mensa. I like baseball. I think I know baseball. I don't try to act like I know more than everybody else. All right? I know baseball. We all like baseball. We all have opinions. I'm not that freaking smart, is my point. Yet, Kevin Cash put out a trap for you, and you fell right into it. He's got three lefties in the bullpen, okay? There's a right-hander on the mound. Tommy Pham is coming up. There's a runner on first and two outs. You're down by two runs. If you pinch hit for Tommy Pham with any of your bench players, they're all lefties, by the way, he's got a lefty in the bullpen in Jake Diekman. He's going to go to him, okay? I know this. We all know this. It doesn't take anybody that intelligent to know that if you go to a lefty to pinch it for fam because you don't want fam against the righty, okay, fine, live with the fact there's a lefty-lefty matchup you're going to deal with, okay? That's going to happen. You don't have a righty on the bench because you decided to start McNeil over Escobar, which was a foolish mistake because if you start McNeil to begin with, you have Escobar on the bench, but okay, fine, too little, too late. When you use Vogelback, who cannot hit lefties, there's no in-between on this. He blows against lefties. He cannot hit lefties. He should never see a lefty. He should never face a lefty. You're stuck either having Vogelback face a lefty or pinch hitting for him with another lefty who gives you a better shot to get a hit in Brett Beatty. If you do that, at least you correct the mistake of sending Vogelbach back up to begin with. He shouldn't be up there. I'm sorry. There's no way you send them up against the righty when it's obvious Kevin Cash is setting a, a trap for you. So you've got two options. All right? Both, by the way, not what Buck did, our genius manager. Okay? Option number one is you allow Tommy Pham, who's been on base twice, to face the righty. Okay? That's option number one. You want to do that? Let him do it. Fam's already started. You made the freaking decision to start him. You even said something bizarre before the game about how much faith you have in him. It was such a bizarre statement. I thought I was being duped like the midday show with a fake quote. Okay? That's what that's what I thought. It turned out not to be a fake quote. Great. Then let Tommy Fam face a righty. 
Instead, you go to Vogelback. Now, here's the second option, Buck. Your second option is to send up Brett Beatty. Because even if Cash sends out the lefty, it's not a big deal. Brett Beatty can hit left-handed pitching. It's not as bad as a Diekman-Vogelback matchup. This was the first time Buck made a move. That's not debatable. This is not something any of us can have a back and forth about. He was wrong. And I hope he's asked about it after the game. And I hope Buck has the decency to apologize to all of us for making a stupid move. Listen, these lineup decisions drive us all nuts. He can at least make compelling cases, even if I don't agree with it. There is no compelling case for Vogelback being sent up as a pinch hitter when Kevin Cash has set a lefty trap for you out of the bullpen. Now, with that said, I don't want to complain anymore. Okay, this was a great night. This was an amazing victory. This feels like the, hopefully, the season-changing win we were waiting for, but I needed to get off that my, get that off my chest. With that said, F yeah, Hop! That was a freaking win! That's a freaking win! Uh, I, I won't complain so much, but I have to just make note that not only was it terrible that they left Vogel back in to, to, to take, you know, to face Diekman, who, by the way, has been terrible since being called up or since, since playing. He's, his numbers are terrible. Not only was Vogel back the worst he's ever been, he struck out on four pitches that were all over the place. Dude. And he didn't swing at a single one. Dude, he one had no them. shot. I mean, Daniel Vogelback knows he can't hit lefties. The numbers are alarmingly bad. It's why Vogelback is a platoon player if you want to even treat him as such. Now, let's address the reality of what we are now facing. And I promise you, I will rip Buck a new ass every opportunity I get if he defies what I'm about to say and what I'm about to say again. Nothing that brilliant, just obvious. Mark Vientos needs to be the designated hitter every single day, okay? Lefties, righties, ambidextrous, it doesn't freaking matter. Mark Vientos' home run today was against, if memory serves correct, again, don't have the book in front of me, Ryan Thompson. Ryan is a side-arming right-hander. Not exactly easy to pick up. Mark Vientos crushed righties. He crushed lefties. He beat everybody. We are all sick of Daniel Vogelback. okay? We understand his positives. They are not enough anymore. Mark Vientos has earned this. This is about earning things. This is not something given to him. This has been earned. Francisco Alvarez was sort of given the catching job, obviously. We, we know why. Omar Narvaez got hurt. Tomas Nito sucks. And it basically led to Alvarez. And, and by the way, Alvarez has been a great pitch framer. He's made progress. He hit the home run. But my point is, he didn't go down to AAA pummel pitching and make the decision for the New York Mets. That's my only point about that. I don't mean to throw shade at Francisco. Mark Vientos left no doubt. Mark Vientos, after a very effective spring training, got demoted to taking buses in the International League and responded like a freaking man. He has now earned the chance to play every single day. Brett Beatty should play third base every day. Mark Vientos should DH every day. And Francisco Alvarez is obviously the catcher every day, though I do understand if he doesn't play in the finale of this series, day game after night game, 
fine. Plus, Michael Perez is hitting a thousand. Let's not forget that he's four for four. Now that your horn you, blows, try. Sorry, somebody just honked for no reason. <laughs> We're all sitting in traffic, fellas. All right. We're all annoyed. We're all in traffic. We all know it's three lanes converging into one. There's no reason to honk. All right. Okay. What are you going to honk loud? Well, there's what nothing going to do. Anyhow. <laughs> oh, wait. Question for you. Did you notice what uh, Buck did defensively in that top of the 10th? Yeah, so he went to Brett Bailey to play left field, and I, I was I was racking my brain on this. He really didn't have an option because once he pinch hits Marcana with Brett Beatty, he could move McNeil to the outfield, but that means either Beatty or Vientos is playing second base, and obviously neither guy does. Uh, so either it was Beatty or Vientos to play left field. I don't. I, I would tell you don't get used to it. I don't think that's something we're going to see a lot of. I mean, obviously. I guess the scenario where you would see that is if you want Vogel back to DH, you want Vientos and Beatty in the lineup, I guess that's a way to do it by sticking Beatty in left, Vientos at third, uh, keeping McNeil at second. I just don't think that's going to be a common occurrence, nor would I make it a common occurrence. Now, things can change. Vogel back gets hot. Mark is not hitting. I guess there is a scenario where we end up seeing Vientos or uh, Beatty, obviously in this case Beatty, play the outfield. But I think, Pete, we saw that because he had to. What I was curious about, though, is Marte. Marte gets hit by a pitch. He looked hurt. If he had to come out of the game, I'm not sure what the hell they were going to do because the only guy on their bench left was Michael Perez. So I I can't even – honestly, I can't imagine what they were going to do. I guess Alvarez or Perez would have moved to the outfield. It's the only thing I could think of. Or one of them goes to third, and then Vientos goes to the outfield. But Marte stayed in the game. We'll see if he's all right. I'm not sure if he's going to be all right. I think he was basically forced into staying into that game. But, yeah, we got to see Brett Beatty play in left field. We'll see if it becomes a thing. Now, the other thing that we didn't mention yet because uh, we were just excited about the win, you have to talk about Guillermo getting sent down. And what does this mean for Ronnie Mauricio? Because I think after this explosion, not explosion, but amazing win by the Mets and Every fan got what they wanted. They saw the young kids play. They helped win a game. And now you say you see a lot of still dead weight on this team. And Ronnie Mauricio has been doing the same thing that Vientos has down in AAA. When is he getting the You know, it's, it's funny. I, they don't have a backup shortstop right now. And I think you can live with that on a temporary basis. But eventually, you're going to want to give Lindor, even if it's not a day off, a few winnings off. And I guess their backup would be Escobar or McNeil, which for a few innings late in a blowout may not be a big deal. So the reason why I do think this gives sort of some hope for uh, Mauricio is that eventually they're going to want a guy. I am in a tough spot right now. There's a giant truck who's trying to get into the lane and I can keep pushing, but eventually he could just run me over. This is just about size. All right, go ahead, buddy. I can't talk until he passes me. I'm like freaked out by it. All right, there we go. We're all good. The giant truck from Maine uh, has pushed me over, and I accepted it. I had to take it like a little man. What can I tell you? Anyhow, um, back to the shortstop thing. Yeah, part of me thinks this does eventually lead to Mauricio coming up. It comes down to who goes off the roster now. Remember, we had talked about Guillaume being an option to go down because he had options. You know, this is easier than DFAing somebody that you don't want to DFA. 
They don't want to DFA Eduardo Escobar, who has shown a pulse recently. They're not DFAing Marcana. Money-wise, yeah, you could DFA Vogelback, but I'd actually, believe it or not, as much as I've turned on him recently, I'd still prefer that bat off the bench. I think I mentioned that on the Rico maybe one or two episodes ago that in a perfect world, that is, that's what he is. So I'm not really a big DFA Vogelback kind of guy. The odd man out, if you want to keep the same amount of pitchers, is Tommy Pham. I think he is. Obviously, you go one short on outfield, but McNeil becomes more of an outfielder anyway with Mauricio coming up. Plus, he gives you the cover at shortstop. Plus, as we even just talked about with Beatty, Beatty now becomes a little bit more in the outfield mix. So I think we're going to see Mauricio eventually. I don't think it's happening in the next couple of days, but I do think it's going to be very difficult to maintain not having a backup shortstop on the roster. When it came out this morning that Vientos was being called up, my honest prediction was a fake IL stint for somebody. I I wasn't sure who it was going to be. I kind of leaned towards fam going on the fake IL. You know, not really hurt, but let's stick you on the list. But obviously, to just cover yourself and not losing a guy, Guillaume was the answer. But we'll see. I mean, Mauricio has to continue to tear it up and play good defense at second base, and then there could be a role for him. But it's funny, man. The more Vientos, Alvarez, Beatty do anything, it's exciting and we love it, but it just makes us not trust Billy Epler even more. Because, again, Billy, I've said this before about Billy Epler, excuse me, he had nothing to do with drafting these guys. Nothing. He had nothing to do with signing Alvarez as a 16-year-old prospect. Nothing. Okay, he's the guy that took over and inherited them, inherited them as prospects. And all he's done is be ultra, ultra, ultra conservative. And while you can try to make the case that, hey, maybe keeping them down in the minors helped develop them more, you also could say, hey, where has this production been over the last three weeks as this team was struggling to score runs? We could have had Mark Vientos up here two weeks ago. But look. I don't want to fret about the past. I want to be happy about today and the future. Vientos is here. Beatty is here. Alvarez is here. Hopefully Mauricio is going to be here soon. And hopefully this win against Tampa, this dramatic victory where the Mets came back once, twice, three freaking times to finally win on a PD walk-off. Hopefully this is the game that turns the season around. With that said, My voice is sore from all the screaming tonight. Oh, I do want to say one thing about the experience tonight at Citi Field. So by the time the eighth and ninth inning rolled around, my section, the 300s, was empty. And the only people left were drunk Met fans, like very, very drunk Met fans. It reminded me of the old Shea Stadium days when there'd be 15,000 people there. And by the time, you know, it was 1030 at night, Everybody was just pissed drunk. So I heard some hilarious freaking things from these drunk guys. And I got to give them credit. Maybe they're listening to the Rico. I have no idea. First of all, when uh, Taylor Walls kept coming up to the plate, they would chant and scream from the window to the walls. (laughs) And I don't know why. That just cracked me up so much. When Jose Siri came up, I mean, you know what they were doing. Yeah, it was obvious. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Uh, There were a few other things. I'm trying to remember what they were, but 
the taunting that was going on just really, it made me laugh during the frustration of this game and thinking the Mets were probably going to lose again to the Tampa Bay Rays. So I just want to give a shout out and hopefully they get home safe and they do it responsibly. But I just want to give a shout out to the drunks from the 300s at City Field. You added a lot of entertainment to this game and I salute you. With that said, I'm done and I'm tired. Uh, We appreciate you listening to another Drive Home Rico and kudos to Hoffman because Pete Hoffman, before the ball landed in the second deck of Alonzo's game winner, he had fired off that text to me. He says, no pressure, bro. You want to do a drive home? And first I tweeted, I think I'm going to do a drive home. And then I texted, oh, hell yeah. After a win like this, oh, hell yeah. So great win. Thanks for listening and downloading. We'll do another Rico, obviously, after this series is over. But uh, good win. Let's go Mets. LFGM. Whatever the hell Pete says. Thanks for listening to the Drive Home Edition of Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 